Part nine of the Praise of Folly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. The Praise of Folly by Desiderius Erasmus. Translated by John Wilson. Part nine. And first, every man allows this proverb that where a man wants matter, he may best frame some. And to this purpose is that verse which we teach children. Tis the greatest wisdom to know when and where to counterfeit the fool. And now judge yourselves what an excellent thing this folly is, whose very counterfeit and semblance only has got such praise from the learned. But more candidly does that fat, plump, epicurean bacon-hog, Horace, for so he calls himself, bid us mingle our purposes with folly. And whereas he adds the word bravem, short, perhaps to help out the verse, he might as well have let it alone. And again, tis a pleasant thing to play the fool in the right season and, in another place, he had rather be accounted a dotterel and sot than to be wise and made mouths at. And Telemachus, in Homer, whom the poet praises so much, is now and then called Napius, fool, and by the same name, as if there were some good fortune in it, are the tragedians wont to call boys and striplings. And what does that sacred book of Iliads contain but a kind of counter-scuffle between foolish kings and foolish people? Besides, how absolute is that praise that Cicero gives of it! All things are full of fools. For who does not know that every good, the more diffusive it is, by so much the better it is? But perhaps their authority may be of small credit among Christians. We'll therefore, if you please, support our praises with some testimonies of holy writ also, in the first place, nevertheless, having forespoke our theologians that they'll give us leave to do it without offence. And in the next, for as much as we attempt a matter of some difficulty, and it may be perhaps a little too saucy to call back again the muses from Helicon to so great a journey, especially in a matter they are wholly strangers to, it will be more suitable, perhaps, while I play the divine and make my way through such prickly quiddities, that I entreat the soul of Scotus, a thing more bristly than either porcupine or hedgehog, to leave his scorbone a while and come into my breast and then let him go whither he pleases, or to the dogs. I could wish also that I might change my countenance, or that I had on the square cap and the cassock, for fear some or other would impeach me of theft, as if I had privily riffled our master's desks, in that I have got so much divinity. But it ought not to seem so strange, if after so long and intimate an acquaintance, and converse with them, I have picked up somewhat, when, as that fig-tree god Priapus, hearing his owner read certain Greek words, took so much notice of them that he got them by heart, and that cock in Lucian, by having lived long among men, became at last a master of their language. But to the point under a fortunate direction. Ecclesiastes says in his first chapter, The number of fools is infinite. And when he calls it infinite, does he not seem to comprehend all men? unless it be some few whom yet tis a question whether any man ever saw. But more ingeniously does Jeremiah in his tenth chapter confess it, saying, Every man is made a fool through his own wisdom, attributing wisdom to God alone, and leaving folly to all men else. And again, Let not man glory in his wisdom. And why, good Jeremiah, would you not have a man glory in his wisdom? Because, he'll say, he has none at all. But to return to Ecclesiastes, who, when he cries out, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, 
What other thoughts had he, do you believe, than that, as I said before, the life of man is nothing else but an interlude of folly? In which he has added one voice more to that justly received praise of Cicero's which I quoted before, that is, all things are full of fools. Again, that wise preacher that said, a fool changes as the moon, but a wise man is permanent as the sun. What else did he hint at in it, but that all mankind are fools, and the name of wise only proper to God? For by the moon interpreters understand human nature, and by the sun, God, the only fountain of light, with which agrees that which Christ himself in the gospel denies, that anyone is to be called good but one, and that is God. And then if he is a fool that is not wise, and every good man, according to the Stoics, is a wise man, it is no wonder if all mankind be concluded under folly. Again, Solomon, chapter 15. Foolishness, says he, is joy to the fool, thereby plainly confessing that without folly there is no pleasure in life, to which is pertinent that other. He that increases knowledge increases grief, and in much understanding there is much indignation. And does he not plainly confess as much, chapter 7, the heart of the wise is where sadness is, but the heart of fools follows mirth. By which you see, he thought it not enough to have learned wisdom, without he had added the knowledge of me also. And if you will not believe me, take his own words, chapter 1. I gave my heart to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. Where, by the way, this worth your remark, that he intended me somewhat extraordinary, that he named me last. A preacher wrote it, and this, you know, is the order among churchmen, that he that is first in dignity comes last in place, as mindful, no doubt, whatever they do in other things, herein at least, to observe the evangelical precept. Besides, that folly is more excellent than wisdom, the son of Sirach, whoever he was, clearly witnesses. Chapter 44. Whose words, so help me Hercules, I shall not once utter, before you meet my induction with a suitable answer according to the manner of those in Plato that dispute with Socrates. What things are more proper to be laid up with care, such as are rare and precious, or such as are common and of no account? Why do you give me no answer? Well, though you should dissemble, the Greek proverb will answer for you. Foul water is thrown out of doors, which, if any man shall be so ungracious as to condemn, let him know tis Aristotle's, the god of our masters. Is there any of you so very a fool as to leave jewels and gold in the street? In truth, I think not, in the most secret part of your house. Nor is that enough. If there be any drawing or iron chests more private than other, there you lay them, but dirt you throw out of doors. And therefore, if you so carefully lay up such things as you value, and throw away what's vile and of no worth, is it not plain that wisdom, which he forbids a man to hide, is of less account than folly, which he commands him to cover. Take his own words, Better is the man that hideth his folly than he that hideth his wisdom. Or what is that when he attributes an upright mind without craft or malice to a fool, when a wise man the while thinks no man like himself? For so I understand that in his tenth chapter, a fool walking by the way, being a fool himself, supposes all men to be fools like him. And is it not a sign of great integrity to esteem every man as good as himself, and when there is no one that leans not too much to the other way, to be so frank yet as to divide his praises with another? 
nor was this great king ashamed of the name when he says of himself that he is more foolish than any man. Nor did Paul, that great doctor of the Gentiles, writing to the Corinthians, unwillingly acknowledge it. I speak, says he, like a fool. I am more. As if it could be any dishonour to excel in folly. But here I meet with a great noise of some that endeavour to peck out the crow's eyes, that is, to blind the doctors of our times and smoke out their eyes with new annotations, among whom my friend Erasmus, whom for honour's sake I often mention, deserves, if not the first place, yet certainly the second. Oh, most foolish instance, they cry, and well becoming folly herself. The apostle's meaning was wide enough from what you dream. The apostle's meaning was wide enough from what you dream. For he spoke it not in this sense, that he would have them believe him a greater fool than the rest, but when he had said, They are ministers of Christ, the same am I, and by way of boasting herein had equalled himself with two others, he added this by way of correction or checking himself, I am more, as meaning that he was not only equal to the rest of the apostles in the work of the gospel, but somewhat superior. And therefore, while he would have this received as a truth, lest, nevertheless, it might not relish their ears as being spoken with too much arrogance, he foreshortened his argument with the visit of folly, I speak like a fool, because he knew it was the prerogative of fools to speak what they like, and that too without offence. Whatever he thought when he wrote this, I leave it to them to discuss. For my own part, I follow those fat, fleshy, and vulgarly approved doctors, with whom, by Jupiter, a great part of the learned had rather err than follow them that understand the tongues, though they are never so much in the right. Not any of them make greater account of those smatterers at Greek than if they were daws. Especially when a no small professor, whose name I wittingly conceal, lest those chuffs should chatter at me that Greek proverb I have so often mentioned, an ass at a harp, discoursing magisterially and theologically on this text, I speak as a fool, I am more, drew a new thesis, and, which without the height of logic he could never have done, made this new subdivision. For I'll give you his own words, not only in form, but matter also. I speak like a fool, that is, if you look upon me as a fool, for comparing myself with those false apostles, I shall seem yet a greater fool by esteeming myself before them, though the same person, a little after, as forgetting himself, runs off to another matter. But why do I thus staggeringly defend myself with one single instance? As if it were not the common privilege of divines to stretch heaven, that is, holy writ, like a cheveril. And when there are many things in St. Paul that thwart themselves, which yet in their proper place do well enough, if there be any credit to be given to St. Jerome, that was master of five tongues. Such was that of his at Athens, when having casually espied the inscription of that altar, he wrested it into an argument to prove the Christian faith, and leaving out all the other words because they made against him, took note only of the two last, that is, to the unknown God, and those two not without some alteration. For the whole inscription was thus, to the gods of Asia, Europe, and Africa, to the unknown and strange gods, and according to his example do the sons of the prophets, who, forcing out here and there four or five expressions, and if need be, corrupting the sense, rest it to their own purpose, though what goes before and follows after make nothing to the matter in hand, nay, be quite against it, which yet they do with so happy an impudence that oftentimes the civilians envy them that faculty. 
for what is it in a manner they may not hope for success in when this great doctor i had almost bolted out his name but that i once again stand in fear of the greek proverb has made a construction on an expression of luke so agreeable to the mind of christ as are fire and water to one another for when the last point of danger was at hand at which time retainers and dependents are wont in a more special manner to attend their protectors to examine what strength they have and prepare for the encounter christ intending to take out of his disciples minds all trust and confidence in such like defence demands of them whether they wanted anything when he sent them forth so unprovided for a journey that they had neither shoes to defend their feet from the injuries of stones and briars nor the provision of a scrip to preserve them from hunger and when they had denied that they wanted anything he adds but now he that hath a bag let him take it and likewise a scrip and he that hath none let him sell his coat and buy a sword and now when the sum of all that christ taught pressed only meekness suffering and contempt of life who does not clearly perceive what he means in this place to wit that he might the more disarm his ministers that neglecting not only shoes and scrip but throwing away their very coat they might being in a manner naked the more readily and with less hindrance take in hand the work of the gospel and provide themselves of nothing but a sword not such as thieves and murderers go up and down with but the sword of the spirit that pierces the most inward parts and so cuts off as it were at one blow all earthly affections that they mind nothing but their duty to god but see i pray whether this famous theologian rests it by the sword he interprets defence against persecution and by the bag sufficient provision to carry it on as if christ having altered his mind in that he sent out his disciples not so royally attended as he should have done repented himself of his former instructions or as forgetting that he had said blessed are ye when ye are evil spoken of despised and persecuted etc and forbade them to resist evil for that the meek in spirit not the proud are blessed or lest remembering i say that he had compared them to sparrows and lilies thereby minding them what small care they should take for the things of this life was so far now from having them go forth without a sword that he commanded them to get one though with the sale of their coat and had rather they should go naked than want a brawling iron by their sides and to this as under the word sword he conceives to be comprehended whatever appertains to the repelling of injuries so under that of scrip he takes in whatever is necessary to the support of life and so does this deep interpreter of the divine meaning bring forth the apostles to preach the doctrine of a crucified christ but furnished at all points with lances slings quarterstaffs and bombards lading them also with bag and baggage lest perhaps it might not be lawful for them to leave their inn unless they were empty and fasting. Nor does he take the least notice of this, that he so willed the sword to be bought, reprehends it a little after, and commands it to be sheeted, and that it was never heard that the apostles ever used or swords or bucklers against the Gentiles, though it is likely they had done it, if Christ had ever intended as his doctor interprets. There is another, too, whose name out of respect I pass by a man of no small repute who from those tents which habakkuk mentions the tents of the land of midian shall tremble drew this exposition that it was prophesied of the skin of saint bartholomew who was flayed alive and why forsooth but because those tents were covered with skins i was lately myself at a theological dispute for i am often there 
where, when one was demanding what authority there was in holy writ that commands heretics to be convinced by fire rather than reclaimed by argument, a crabbed old fellow, and one whose supercilious gravity spoke him at least a doctor, answered in a great fume that St. Paul had decreed it, who said, Reject him that is a heretic, after once or twice admonition. And when he had sundry times, one after another, thundered out the same thing, and most men wondered what ailed the man, at last he explained it thus, making two words of one. A heretic must be put to death. Some laughed, and yet there wanted not others to whom this exposition seemed plainly theological, which, when some, though those very few, opposed, they cut off the dispute, as we say, with a hatchet, and the credit of so uncontrollable an author. Pray conceive me, said he, it is written, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, but every heretic bewitches the people, therefore, etc. And now as many as were present admired the man's wit, and consequently submitted to his decision of the question. Nor came it into any of their heads that that law concerned only fortune-tellers, enchanters, and magicians, whom the Hebrews call in their tongue Mekaschephim, witches or sorcerers, for otherwise, perhaps, by the same reason, it might as well have extended to fornication and drunkenness. End of Part 9